0: It's Brian Preston, the money guy, restoring order to your financial chaos, retirement, investing, taxes You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Well, I tell you what, a lot has happened in a week. Um, Since the last Money Guy Show, this is the Money Guy Show, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Brian Preston, and what we're here to do is restore order to your financial chaos. As you know, I'm a certified financial planner, running by day a fee-only financial planning firm, and um, I'm here to try to restore order to your financial chaos. But like I was talking about, a lot of things have happened in the last week. Since I last talked to you guys, it seems like the government has decided they're going to get involved with this whole lending mess and everything that's going on out there in the mortgage industry and the mortgage market and all the consumers that are involved with that. And even though I had other things to talk about, I felt like it was so important to go ahead and kind of back up and come back and look at this new proposal that came out really Thursday um, and then all the a lot of the publications like the Wall Street Journal had you know analysis of it in, in their Friday morning papers and that 's what uh, we 've able to, been able to pull together and we 're going to talk about that today but if that stuff bores you because I know I, I attract you know i hope um I get emails from people who say hey brian i 'd love for you to keep me up on what 's going on out there in the financial world, current events and things like that and that 's what we 're focusing on but if you want to get back to the to the personal financial planning, we still have some issues that are going to touch on that today. And if you do want to contact the show, you can you can contact me at brian at money com. And I'm one of those guys that spells Brian with an I instead of the Y. Um, if you want to go check out the websites, you can go to money-guy.com or moneyguy.net. We do have that new domain name up and working um, on the website. You can pull up show notes. You can also go in there and type in your email address on the left-hand side and it will allow you to get... The show notes automatically email to you every time we do an update to the show. And then um, if you'd like to, if you want to support the, the, the show that you're listening to, you can do several things. You can go to iTunes and um, give some positive feedback. It's been a while since we've gotten some feedback out there, and I think that's what keeps us up there on the the featured page in front of everybody. Second thing is you can support us financially by subscribing to the Wealth Report. So you can do all that on the website. But getting back to what we're talking about here, there was, um, and what I'm basing this off of is there was an article that came out today. I'm doing this show on Friday morning, um, the 7th, Battle Line's, over the mortgage plan. This is in the Wall Street Journal and it was put out by Michael Phillips. Now, you know, I normally provide links out there. Um, I will try to put a link to this um, article, but please recognize unless you have a subscription to Wall Street Journal, you're probably not going to be able to look at this article. But it says, um, in unveiling a plan to help more than 1 million struggling homeowners, the Bush administration and the mortgage industry have embarked on a controversial project Picking winners and losers from the rubble of the subprime mortgage meltdown. Under the deal formally released yesterday, the industry would voluntarily help as many as 1.2 million homeowners who are headed for trouble paying their subprime mortgages, but aren't yet lost causes. For some homeowners, loan servicing companies will agree to freeze mortgages at their low introductory rates, and other cases, Credit counselors or loan servicers will walk mortgage holders through the refinancing process. The deal won't provide relief to many subprime mortgage holders. These include borrowers who are now in foreclosure, have already refinanced their homes, or are more than 60 days delinquent on more than one payment over the past year. In some cases, people with good credit scores will also be excluded. Also left out are those deemed able to afford the higher interest rates scheduled to replace their introductory rates over the next two years. Uh, The thing that that troubles me, and I'll just go ahead and tell you, is I get nervous whenever the government is involved in anything. And the reason I say that is, is because there's always unintended consequences. And I'm going to go over a few more things in this article, and then we're also going to talk about... Um, kind of a question and, and, and answer sh- session on who actually qualifies. If we got into the nuts and bolts of this plan that's put out by the administration, um, who who is this really going to impact? I've got that broken out, and I'll go over that in just a minute. But I do want to give you some stats on how bad this has gotten. It says in the third quarter, home foreclosures hit their highest rate since at least 1972. And that's according to the Mortgage Bankers Association. The overall delinquency rate is the highest since 1986, with 2.64 million borrowers nationwide behind on their payments for their first lien mortgages for their residences. So I'll, I'll tell you what I think behind the scenes is also going on. Now you'll see all the political fluff is that we're trying to protect our homeowners, Um, we'll do that. and I'm sure there is some of that thought somewhere out there. But I do think a lot of this, if you have to look behind the curtains and kind of sniff around and figure out what's also going on, is that you've got banks out there that are up to their eyeballs in repossessions. You know, these houses go, not really, really repossess is what you do to a car. You don't repossess a house. You kind of foreclose upon a house. Um, it goes up to auction, you know, if you get somebody to come in and buy it. But what you're seeing out there is on these courthouse steps is that the numbers of banks that are having to go back out there and pick up their loans, and because you're not finding as many private investors, because just the glut of houses that are just landing on the market and out there on these courthouse steps is so big, there's not enough investors to absorb this, and there's not enough equity in a lot of these houses. Some of these were really bad loans where the banks were really loose with giving this money out. I mean, it's just crazy. They were doing these 100% deals, doing other things, so you can come down in appreciation. If you don't have the appreciation, if you actually have the assets going down in value like we see in a lot of the cities in the United States, you are finding that these banks are left holding the bag with a lot of these houses. So I do think that behind the scenes... Part of the motivation for this type of plan is is that there 's a lot of banks out there that are sitting on have gotten into the real estate industry now because they 're owning a lot of homes that they 've had to take back, and the glut of all these homes is really starting to have an impact on the big financial banks out there so this is you know marketed as a big help for individuals and it will help some individuals, but I get so nervous. Like I said, when the government gets involved in anything, because there's always unintended consequences, that I'm going to talk about how this has happened in the past. This is What cracks me up is that, I don't know if it's human nature or what, but we just seem to forget what happened in the past. I mean, it really is true. If you look back in the past, you can usually find something that, that correlates very well to what's going on now. So we'll talk about that. It says, um, I do want to continue on with this article. It says, um... It says, which was hammered out with investors and mortgage companies, this is the, the agreement, um, which was hammered out with investors and mortgage companies under um, the Treasury Department is the centerpiece of the Bush administration's free market approach to the mortgage crisis and may be as far as it's willing to go in the direction of a full bailout. And I think it's pretty pretty big what they're already doing and stepping in. But check this out. Some of the politicians out there in Washington want to go even further. And this is what I worry about is not only are we going to take this 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 you know situation that is already putting a great weight upon the economy. If the government steps in and does too much, we're never going to correct ourselves. And then how is this train going to right itself? I've got some – I'm going to talk about – has anybody heard of Japan? Let's talk about what happened to that in just a second. But it says the pressure in Washington is likely to increase – as um, housing and the economy move to the top of the presidential election agenda, candidates such as Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, and John Edwards have come out with their own plans, all of which go further than the White House is willing to go. And, and that troubles me that, that we're, I mean, we're already doing a bailout here, and we're already talking about in Washington going even further with it. And, and this is what I want to remind people of. What happened in the late 80s? Does anybody, if you go back and pick your brain and think about what happened here in the United States in the late 80s that had the awful impact that actually hurt Bush Sr., George Bush Sr., if you remember, lost in in that 92 election to President Clinton because of the 1991 recession. Now, going back and looking at the history books, what led us to that 1991 recession? A lot of people who have gone back and done the math, gone and kind of, you know, because history is always easier to look backwards. You know, you can kind of, it's hard when you're in the moment to really know all the different variables that are playing into a situation. But it's very easy you know, 10, 15 years down the road to look back and say, okay, aha, that's what happened. Well, a lot of of people who have, economists and so forth, have gone back and looked at the 1991 recession and have seen that a lot of that was caused by the savings and loan bailout where the, the government stepped in. You had a very similar situation where you had investors and others that had overstepped their limits, you know, and that's that's that happens in a capitalistic marketplace sometimes. You have people who take on way too much risk. And what is the way risk and reward works? You have to take on more risk to get more reward. But when you do take on that risk, you do run the chance that you're going to lose more. Well, if we keep coming in and bailing out these people who package and do these big risky packages and investments and other things, I think we're going to get ourselves in trouble because that totally throws... It. A, re- a wrench into the foundation of what drives this economy. And I also worry the sacredness of contracts. We come in and break some of this stuff, and I'm going to get into it in just a second. How this is really hurting the people. You know, it's picking out and rewarding some of the people who have behaved poorly, and it's actually punishing people who have followed the rules and not taking on too much debt, and that's not a good situation either. I think that just kind of, uh, you know, cuts the feed out from underneath the people who are trying to make the right decisions. So think about that. The savings and loans bailout and the correlation that occurred back in the late 80s when that occurred by the government and how that led us into a recession. And now we're doing, it seems like we're almost deja vu doing the whole situation over again. Think about also, everybody back in the 80s, if you would ask somebody, they said, what is the biggest risk to the United States business-wise? You would have said, the Japanese are going to take over our country. And everybody was so worried because the Japanese were making so much money, so much innovation, their quality of their products was so great that everybody was worried they were undermining the the US economy. You even had over in Detroit, you had them, you know, where a big deal back then was in the 80s, you'd have them go buy a Japanese car, beat it down with a hammer and and do all these other crazy shenanigans out there. And then you you when you had all of a sudden that economy collapsed and what caused that economy to collapse is that they had a big run up in commercial real estate and they had a lot of problems with you know real estate getting out of hand and then when it started to fall in upon itself which you have happened just like you had the tech bubble of the the you know 2 the 90s and then the early 2000s um that collapsed and you had to let the market work itself out if the government steps in too soon and does things to fix the situation before the market's corrected itself the, the the government can actually cut the legs out from the economy. And that's what happened over in Japan. They had a big run-up in real estate. It started to come back. And then you had the government try to step in and, and sure up the situation, and they ended up just digging the hole deeper. So you have to be very careful. There are things in history we can look at and tell us that we might not be making the right decision. It says, according to the plan, homeowners scoring 660 or above will be considered fit to pay their mortgages. In other words... No bailout for you. You've done what you need to. We're only helping the people who have made bad decisions. I don't like that motivation. It says such a rule would punish people who have tried to avoid taking on debt they couldn't handle, Mr. Frank said. He called the decision a grave error. And when they talk about Mr. Frank, they're talking about Representative Barney Frank out of Massachusetts. Um, so these are some things, real quick, I want to talk about before we go to our first commercial break. You know what's the question and answer on who this actually hits? It says, which mortgages does this plan cover? It says the agreement covers only a subset of borrowers. These are borrowers who took out subprime arms that were originated between January first of two thousand five and july thirty first of two thousand seven whose interest rates will reset for the first time between January first two thousand eight and july thirty first of two thousand ten. It applies only to loans that have been packaged in securities and not that are held by banks on their own books. Homeowners should call their servicer to de- determine if their mortgage is covered by the plan. Um, it also goes on what are mortgage companies doing for these bars? Mort- mortgage companies are setting up guidelines. For those who may qualify for the fast track program that would freeze the interest rate at the introductory rate for five years, some borrowers who don't qualify for fast track may be eligible to refinance into new mortgages based upon, of course, their credit score, amount of equity in their home, and so forth. Mortgage companies have been encouraged to take all reasonable steps to facilitate a refinancing. Who qualifies for the rate freeze? Check this out. To qualify, borrowers must live in their homes and face a payment increase of more than 10% when the rate on their arm resets for the first time. The program is designed to help borrowers who aren't good candidates for refinancing because of this, poor credit have little or no equity in their homes or a history of late payments. All things that are bad behavior, and we will go to record, that, which I know the, the intention's good, but I think you have to be careful. It says to qualify for the Fast Track program, borrowers must have credit scores of less than 660 and can't have improved more than 10%. Since the mortgage was originated. If you have any questions, call 1888. That's 38-995-HOPE. 1-888-995-HOPE. When we come back from the commercial break, we're gonna be talking about how why they're probably doing this um, because of some of the subprime fears. We're also gonna be talking about some good news in the economy. And then I'm gonna be talking about Social Security and politicians. Stay with us, we'll be right back after this commercial break. Brian the Money Guy Preston here. If you enjoy the information that I share on The Money Guy Show, then you'll love my print newsletter, The Wealth Report. The Wealth Report is the quarterly newsletter that I send my wealth management clients, and I'm making it available to you for the affordable price of $29 a year. You can sign up at the Money Guy website. That's money-guy.com. This quarter's Wealth Report covers putting the summer stock sell-off in perspective, ranks of millionaires skyrocketing across the globe, the most common mistakes that retirees make, and how you can avoid them, what else should be in your will, and choosing an estate planning attorney. All this great information is packed into the fourth quarter Wealth Report. So what do you have to lose? You probably spend more than $29 on lunch this week. So take me up on this incredible offer and sign up today at the Money Guy website. Once again, that's money-guy.com. money-guy.com. Sign up now. money-guy.com. We're back for the second segment of the Money Guy show. I am your host Brian Preston. and as we went into the commercial break, we were talking about how I'm a little troubled that the government is is already stepping in. And I know that we've got some bad things going on, but a lot of times I, I believe so much in the capitalistic marketplace that I like for the market to correct itself. That way, people who took too much risk are punished and the situ- situation fixes itself, um, as well as those who've done the prudent and right decisions, which I think are probably the majority of my listeners out there, um, continue to succeed at what they're trying to do with their financial life. The problem I have with this is that, sure, I'm not the, and I hope you don't think, especially around this holiday Christmas season, that I'm the Ebenezer Scrooge that th- just does not have any sympathy or compassion for these people who have gotten in over their head. And that's not the case at all. What my bigger fear is, is that we actually cause the situation to be worse. Sure, we could go out there and help these million people, but if we end up in, in, in the very form of by helping these million people drive the entire economy into a recession, then what, who have we benefited? Because those same people are going to be hit even harder. Um, the the thing is is I just worry about these type of situations because I think a lot of people took this um, this real estate marketplace and, and saw just too much you know they got stars in their eyes they got punch drunk with all the money they were going to make through the appreciation because people got used to making three four five even ten twenty percent a year off the appreciation appreciation of their real estate. And that that's just not realistic. I mean, but everybody always, when they're in these situations, they think they're in a new paradigm, you know, that 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 real estate is going to continue to go up like this. And, and you know, and sure, real estate is going to come back, but you have to always wonder. We have the same type of cycles occur time and time again, whether it's tech stocks, whether it's real estate. I mean, there always seems like there's some type of bump bubble that that forms out there. And who knows, maybe we're at that point, and I don't think we are yet Um, because prices have come down. But you look at commodities. I mean, you look at oil and natural resources. Those have just skyrocketed. But I personally think some of that has to do with there's some secret inflation going on out there. I call it undercover inflation. And the fact that all natural resources have gone up, the value of the dollar has gone down significantly. Uh, That's the definition of inflation to me, is if we got the the value of your currency has gone down and cost of goods has gone up. I think we're fortunate enough that our market is so big that we've kind of um, artificially kept our prices pretty reasonable because um, people are so concerned the economy is going to come in upon itself that they've um, kept, kept businesses have kept big prices low uh, on goods. And then innovation, let's not forget, every time they figure out how to make a microchip smaller and figure out how to make it more efficiently, Uh, The prices come down on that, and that's the stuff that powers our lives and makes us more productive as well. But getting back to what we talked about before the break is we talked about how the government has stepped in on this whole subprime mess, and and they're they're trying to do some form of bailout. And I want to tell you why I think they're doing this. There was an article it came out November 24th. This was also in the Wall Street Journal called Rising Rates to Worsen Subprime Mess. And this was done by Ruth Simmon as well. And she was one that was listed on um, that previous article on, on the question and answer session of who the new plan works. So she's definitely the person to talk to at the Wall Street Journal about this. And it says... The subprime mortgage crisis is poised to get much worse. And this is probably exactly what the government is catching on to as well. It says next year, interest rates are set to rise or what's called reset on $362 billion worth of adjustable rate subprime mortgages, according to data collected by the Bank of America Corporation. While many accounts, and they're talking about the media, when you hear them say many accounts, that's talking about the media and everything you see. Day-to-day on the nightly news, it says many accounts portray resetting rates as the big factor behind the surge in home loan defaults and the foreclosures this year. She goes on to say that's not quite the case. Many of the subprime mortgages that have driven up the default rate went bad in their first year or so well before the interest rate had a chance to go higher. Some of these mortgages went to speculators who planned to flip their houses others to borrowers who had stretched too far to make their payments and still others who had elements of fraud. So, and what what she's saying with that statement right there is that a lot of us have been sold a bill of goods in the media that this whole mortgage thing was done because interest rates are going up and these people can't afford the increase in interest rates and you know, in this freeze would help everything. But I'm not so sure that's what got us in this position. That's what it says here. The, the, what got us in this position is bankers and investment firms packaging and, and making money too easy to come by. They were out there basically giving any money money to people to buy homes without qualification. You know, you had all these um, loan do, you know loans that were put together where you didn't even have to prove you had income really, um, as long as you pretty much had a pay stub. And um, you know, and had a pulse. So I think they were pretty much giving out money, and that's all coming back to hit these banks and these investment companies that were packaging up these mortgage products. And and it hasn't been the reset of the rate, but I think the government is concerned that we are about to have all these rates reset. That this is just going to make the situation even worse. It says Bank of America Sec- Securities, a unit of the Big Charlotte, North Carolina bank, estimates that 85 billion in subprime mortgages are resetting during the current quarter. And the same amount r- will reset in the first quarter of 2008. That will rise to a peak of 101 billion dollars in the second quarter of 2008. The estimates include loans packaged in securities and held in bank portfolios. And you notice when in the in the new proposal that came out from the the Bush administration was it was not talking about products that were owned by the banks directly. It was products that were packaged and resold. And that's exactly what is coming to reset in the first and second quarter of next year. So you can kind of see why the White House is jumping in on this. It's kind of like looking into a crystal ball because, remember, this article was written on November 24th. So it gives you a lot of insight into what's going on out there. Um, Just looking, I don't want to read this whole article because I've got a lot more interesting stuff I want to get into talking about Social Security politics because I love listening to what our, our, our... Politicians are saying they're going to do with Social Security and our future leaders, these new presidents. It says, um, let me let me read a few more sentences. It says, besides the $362 billion of subprime arms that are scheduled to reset during 2008, $152 billion of other loans with adjustable rates are set to reset as well. So if you add those two numbers, you can actually see we have actually 500 a little over $510 billion of loans that are resetting in the next year. It says, another factor is that those with a looming reset now have a tougher time sidestepping about refinancing or selling their home because, of course, banks have puckered up and are no longer giving out this free money. So it kind of is making the situation a a lot worse than um, a lot of people anticipated. Um, One piece of good news before we get into the fun stuff of talking about candidates and their take on Social Security, I'm talking about presidential candidates, we can look at retail holiday e commerce spending and and what it's done since last year. Because you know I've been giving you guys a lot of, you know, gloom and doom type reports about the economy, but at least here's a good piece of information that came out. Um this came out in the last week, actually December fifth. And it came out I pulled it off the PR Newswire. Um, and and it, it comes from Comscore Incorporated. And it says today, Comscore Incorporated released an update of holiday season e-commerce spending. And e-commerce, of course, is anything purchased through the Internet. And it says, um, talking about the first 32 days of the, the shopping season from November 1st to December 2nd. And um, the, the November 1st through December 2nd holiday season, more than $14 billion has been spent online during the season to date. And that's making, that's a 17% gain over what was spent last year. So that's tremendous that they've picked up that much. The biggest day was, of course, um, the, the Cyber Monday, which was November 26th. And there was $733 million of sales on that November 26 um, Cyber Monday. If you want to know um, what's really out, out there hot, they broke it down by a category, retail category. And um, video games and consoles had an increase over last year of 145%. Furniture, appliances, and equipment were up 45% from last year. Sport and fitness equipment is up 30%. Toys are up 17%, even with all the crazy stuff going on in China. <laughs> There's a lot of people um, still buying a lot of toys out there. Consumer electronics are up 17% as well. So that's that's some good news out there. Now let's talk about something that I really have my heart on. Y'all have heard me. I'm very passionate about Social Security. I'm one of these young guys um, I keep saying I'm young. I'm now in my mid-30s, but um, I still consider that young. I still feel like a 17-year-old, um, it, by mentally, I, sh- I should say. But it's one of those things where Social Security is one is one of those, those issues that's out there in the public that I think doesn't get enough attention, and I think it doesn't get enough attention from all age groups. Young people like myself, the Generation Xers, the Ys. They need to be paying attention to it because we're getting completely hosed on um, the benefits we have the potential to receive in the future. And then I think older people need to be concerned about it because as the baby boomers and and the other generations, you know, get into their latter latter years where they are relying on Social Security, if y'all don't make the fixes now – By the time we get up to power, there's going to be a little bitterness there, and I think they, you know, this is the time to look at things, because if you wait until we get in power, we might just go ahead and throw everything out on its ear. I know that sounds harsh, but I do think there's there's a feeling from younger people that the older people just are not taking this serious, and, uh, you know, I say that. That's for the informed, you know, younger people, because there's also a group of younger people who don't know what's going on with their finances whatsoever, and are more interested in where they go get fast food for, for lunch today. Um, so, But I do think that it's something that the older generations need to think about. But this is an article that came out from cnnmoney.com, and I'll link it on the website. It's on December 4th of 2007. And let me go ahead and tell you, I'm equal opportunity cynic. This is not going to be a, a, a Democrat bash piece or a Republican bash piece. I am a equal opportunity senate when it comes to politics because i don't trust any of these guys um i think if you you know i'm actually involved in politics down here in georgia i'm on i'm an elected member of the um, henry county school board we are the seventh biggest school system in the state of georgia with over forty thousand students we have an annual budget of over 300 million so we're a pretty big school system down here in georgia and i will tell you i have seen politics at its worst um, so this is going to be a cynical analysis because I'm a cynic on all politics. And we're probably not going to get into this much. We're we'll have to come into it on the last third segment. But it does talk about It says, among the many promises being made by the 2008 candidates for president, fixing Social Security is getting increased play on the campaign stump. The Social Security program funded by taxes on workers' wages currently takes in more than it is promised to pay, but in large part because the number of workers to retirees will shrink If the system is left unchanged, it won't be able to pay out all the benefits promised to future retirees. And y'all have heard this stat. By 2017, the revenue coming in will be less than the benefits promised. The government will make up the difference by paying back the money it credited to the program's trust fund over the years when it borrowed the surplus taxes paid into Social Security. I'm adding, a.k.a., that's known as a tax increase. The government doesn't have extra money laying around. If they need extra money to pay in what was borrowed from Social Security, they have to raise taxes. Come 2041, the trust fund will be tapped out, and incoming funds are projected to cover only 75% of promised benefits. Not good. It so says Social Security is a pay-as-you-go system, meaning that workers pay for today's seniors. The first 97500 of wages are subject to the 12.4% payroll tax Next year, the wage cap rises to $102,000. Typically, half the tax is paid by the workers, and the other half is paid by employers. Self-employed workers pay the full amount and get a deduction for half of the income tax return. Um, You notice it says the pay-as-you-go system. I I like to say instead of calling it a pay-as-you-go system, I call it a pyramid or Ponzi scheme because they actually use the money Uh, of the working workers now to pay the current retirees, and you're kind of giving the promise that they'll do the exact same thing when you, the younger worker, retire. That's a Ponzi pyramid scheme. If you try to do that right now um, on your own on the private sector, you would be arrested. We'll be right back for the final segment of The Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston. Brian Preston, one half of Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. I'm now a fee-only planner. I didn't like the whole conflict of interest that was out there with commissions. If you found out how profitable life insurance was to sell, everybody started looking like they needed life insurance. So I just took that out of the equation and got into focusing on what I was good at, which was the consulting side of giving advice, helping people learn how to make money, and that way the client doesn't feel like they're worried about me selling them products. It allows me to really build trust because I have what's also called a fiduciary responsibility and obligation to put the client's best interest even ahead of my own. What I think is the most important part of my job, educating the client. The great thing about if you're a good fee-only financial planner, you don't have to sell anybody anything. If you can educate the client, it goes much further than ever trying to sell them products. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management, fee-only financial and investment advisors. Visit Preston-Cleveland.com. That's Preston-Cleveland.com. Welcome back to the last segment of the Money Guy Show. This hour is flying by. And remember, how I always tell you guys we're going beyond common sense, talking about how if you can't spend less than you make, you're never going to be financially independent. And that's what this show is focusing on, those people who are looking to go a little bit deeper in their financial knowledge. And if you can give me an hour a day, I am trying to change your life. And this hour is just moving so quick. And I think it's because... I'm just unleashing today and giving you my opinion. I don't know if I'm I'm grumpy or if it's just the the articles that I've chosen or I'm, I'm frustrated with that the government's stepping in. I think prematurely on some things, but um, I have been unleashing on today's show. And before we went to break. We were talking about the third railing, how candidates are taking on Social Security. And when we talk about candidates, we're talking about the presidential candidates. Because we are getting close enough to 2008 that I think it's okay to start talking about um, the presidential race. Uh, it, it, it does crack me up that it seems like we've been talking about this presidential race for the last two years. I don't know if campaigning even stopped um, once we had the last election. But it's um, it's one of those things where, and don't worry if you're a Democrat um, I'm not going to beat up on them any more than I beat up on the Republicans. If you're a Republican, I'm not going to beat up on them any more than I do the Democrats. I'm an equal opportunity cynic. I'm going to, to to pick apart each one of these guys on what they're saying about Social Security. And I'll tell you what I think is decent and I'll tell you what I think um, they're being a little naive or being a politician. I don't think they're naive about anything. I think they just put, you know, they spin it around so that it sounds good for the public. But this is, um, this is the thing we need to talk about, is that Social Security, remember the, the Bush administration jumped on this issue back in 2005, and they were going to try to do some type of re- reform package. And that was shot down because um, a lot of people were troubled by the whole privatization of a portion where individuals would actually have a private account. And I also think there were some good hit jobs done by some of the organizations out there, AARP and others, that scared the, the seniors to death to where there's no way they could ever consider it. you know, so there, there was some some political motivations out there as well as some agendas that that caused it to be derailed. But I do want everybody to recognize that the longer we wait, the worse the fix is going to be. I'll go ahead and tell you, there's no silver bullet anymore. It um, there's it, just privatization is not going to answer anything because we still have. Remember, this is a pay as you go system, or as I like to call it, a pyramid scheme, where they have to take money collected by current workers to pay the benefits of current retirees. So if that's the case, it's not like you can really invest a ton of money because we've already told you how the surplus actually dries up, meaning more money coming in than is actually being paid out to seniors dries up within the next ten years. So there's not a lot of time to invest for the huge liability the government has to pay for all of us workers for the rest of our lives. So the the, the solutions are going to have to be very dramatic and it's not going to be a silver bullet like just privatizing or make, you know, making separate accounts for younger workers. We're also going to probably have to take into account either raising taxes, raising that payroll tax um, that, that is going to Social Security, or we're also going to have to consider reducing benefits or raising the retirement age. And why do they ret- raise the retirement ages? because they hope that you die before you get to retirement. I mean, that's just the cold, hard truth of the matter. Um, if you're looking at the article that is in CNN, Um, Money. It says, the magnitude and pain of the changes can be lessened in two ways, according to the actuaries. Make the changes sooner rather than later. We talked about that just a few seconds ago. So that they may affect more people, but in less dramatic manner. And implement a combination of either tax increases and benefit reductions so that neither is particularly steep. It says, many of the candidates for president have said that they would seek a bipartisan solution, but they also have expressed their most or least preferred option. So let's actually break this down. Let's let's look at each candidate, and these are all the top candidates um, for both parties. We'll first start off with the Democratic Party. Um, we got the Democrats where um, we'll start off with Hillary Clinton, and this is what Hillary Clinton says she wants to do for Social Security. It says she's opposed President Bush's plan to let workers divert some of their Social Security payroll taxes into individual investment accounts. Clinton has also indicated that she would not favor eliminating the cap on the amount of income subject to Social Security tax. And this is the big part. She says she has pledged to stop the practice of the federal government borrowing the surplus paid into Social Security and has indicated that she would convene a bipartisan commission to examine ways to ensure long-term solvency. So I'm looking at what she just said there. Where is the approach that actually, where's the the, the the thing that's going to fix it? Are we going to lower taxes? Or are we going to to, to raise retirement? Age? I didn't hear anything in there. I think that was kind of a head in the sand approach. She didn't give us any meat whatsoever in that answer. It was more of a political answer. So we'll move on. Obama. Obama came out and he says he opposes Bush's plan, allowing workers to divert some Social Security payroll taxes into individual investment accounts. Obama has also said he wouldn't favor raising the retirement age or cutting benefits. So he doesn't want to raise the retirement age or cut benefits, but he would consider increasing the payroll taxes to help resolve the anticipated shortfalls in Social Security. And his approach for raising taxes is what's called a donut approach, and you know, the reason they say donut is it gives you a visual because what they want to do is have Social Security like it is in its current form, where it caps out at a certain you know area somewhere between you know ninety five to hundred thousand dollars. Um, so people who make over a hundred thousand to maybe two hundred thousand wouldn't pay Social Security on that income, but then anybody who made over two hundred to two fifty would be the taxes would pick back up. That's why they call it a donut because there would be a gap in the middle for people who make over a hundred thousand dollars, but you know, less than 200 to 250. Um, you know, so it's, it's it's really taxing the people they consider making a large sum of money, but leaving a little bit in there for, I guess the middle class of, of I, I, they use the word affluent. I don't know if it's really affluent, but the middle class that, that makes between a hundred to $200,000. Um, John Edwards, he's pretty much the same as Obama. He says, opposes President Bush's idea to let workers to, to divert some Social Security payroll taxes into individual investment accounts. Edwards has said he favors increasing the cap on earnings subject to Social Security, but has also said he would support a donut to protect a portion of income from the tax. On CNN's The Situation Room, he said, I would create a buffer zone, buffer zone between about $97,000 and 200000 Beyond that, I would raise the cap. So, at least, you know, like I said, Senator Clinton has come out and she kind of put her head in the sand and really didn't say one thing or another. Um, Obama and Edwards have basically come out and said they think that we just need to raise the cap, but maybe subject to a donut where we do exclude a portion of the income for people who make $100,000 to 200 to 250 from the taxes um, before it picks back up for people who make over that 200000 to $250,000 threshold. So, if we look now at the Republicans, we got Rudy. Giuliani, who um, sa- he says he supports individual investment accounts as part of Social Security, but he said he would not raise taxes to address Social Security's long term solvency. So he loves the investment accounts, but I think that that's not enough. I think that's a political answer, just like we had Senator Clinton given a political answer. I think Rudy's answer is kind of political in the fact that, sure, he wants to do the individual accounts, but as I told you, there's no such thing as a silver bullet anymore. In addition to the individual accounts, um, if you're going to make this work, you've got to do something else. You've got to either raise the retirement age, you've got to cut taxes, you've got to raise taxes, um, meaning raising that income threshold, or you've got to cut benefits. And I didn't hear any of that in what you know, Rudy Giuliani, the former mayor of New York, said in his comments. So I think it was more of a political answer. John McCain has come out and said he would be open to the idea of individual investment accounts so long as they do not divert payroll taxes from Social Security. So uh, my question was, is this possible without raising taxes? I mean, that sounds like you're raising the the payroll tax to, to put a portion of money going into a private account. So that that's kind of his thing. So and I don't know how many people actually would rather do that. I think if you go raise rates so that we can have a private account, I'd rather just have the private account because if, you've, if you're if you a young person who's ever gone out and played with the rates of return you can expect from Social Security, you can do much better on yourself. But I guess that does catch the people who aren't being um, disciplined and responsible individuals and in saving on their own. It says McCain has said he will submit a plan to save Social Security and Medicare. Um, his economic advisor... Uh, has also come out and said on CNNMoney.com that McCain believes the Social Security funding can be shored up by reducing growth in benefits without raising taxes. But he recognizes it's a political issue more than it's about tax and economics, and he's in favor of anyone bringing ideas to the table. So reducing growth in benefits, that's another word of saying probably cutting um, benefits meaning changing the inflation in, you know, indexer that they're using for Social Security and other things. So that is an idea out there as well. Um, Mitt Romney has said he opposes raising payroll taxes and doesn't find the idea of raising the retirement age as attractive as creating individual investment accounts and using the current Social Security surplus to help fund them. I just wrote in here. Too late. Sounds good, but does not probably do too much since we only have 10 years before that um, surplus is actually less than what we're paying out. He does have a kind of a unique idea in here. He says he would also favor indexing the benefits of future high-income retirees to inflation rather than wages, as is currently the case. And let me tell you what he's talking about there. He's talking about currently, you know, they base there's there's an index. Uh, if you get in Social Security, you get an inflation increase, a cost of living adjustment. And currently, right now, it's tied to what the inflation rate for wages is. And, and, that, and that can be rather high. You know, if we show that can be 3 4% a year, whereas if we just tied it to directly to inflation, not the wages increase that are going out there, it would be, and I might have screwed the wording up of that, but please understand, inflation sometimes can be very low, whereas wage Price increases over time tend to go up much higher than inflation. So that might be a creative way to kind of cut down on the rising costs of Social Security. It said that would have the effect of reducing benefits from their current promise levels because inflation tends to grow more slowly than wages. That sounds much better than the way I tried to explain it. Making the changes only for high-income workers is known as a progressive progressive indexing because it attempts to provide for faster growth and benefits for low-income workers. Fred Thompson has come out and said he opposes raising payroll taxes, but he would index the growth in Social Security benefits to inflation rather than wages. So that's very um, similar to um, the former Governor Mitt Romney. He says, Thompson, according to various reports and Thompson's public comments, also favors letting workers have the option of an add-on individual account. Workers would continue to pay into Social Security, but be allowed to put an additional 2% of their pay into the account and the federal government would offer some type of matching contributions from the surplus that has been paid into the Social Security system. I'm not sure how this would really work. As I told you, I think that's more of a political statement. I mean, because that that, that surplus that we've got coming out right now, first of all, we'd have to make the assumption that surplus is going to be quit being used for general funds and funding the government. And the only way they can do that, since they're kind of really addicted to that money coming in from Social Security, is they're definitely going to have to raise taxes. That's why I always tell people, you know, if, you, if you're if you trying to figure out, you know, whether to do the Roth IRA, the Roth 401k, definitely do it. I know you don't get a tax deduction now, but I think it's worthwhile because taxes are probably going to go up in the future. And that's not a political statement. It's just looking at what the obligations that our government has got on us for, you know, the aging population. We got Medicare. We got Social Security. Either been, you know either the government has to downsize or we 've got to raise taxes is what 's going to happen and that, like I said, not a political statement, just common sense and You tell me the last time the government has lowered its you know made itself smaller i don 't think it has since the Korean War, really, if you go back and look at history books, so I think we 're in trouble if you 're one of these people that thinks we 're going to keep taxes low, and I love low taxes don 't get me wrong, I do think they they spur economic growth. But I just don't see how we're going to cover it. I think we have some bigger things to worry about in the long term here. Talking about Huckabee, Huckabee, you know, who's from Arkansas, he says, "...in conjunction with his desire to move toward a consumption tax in which he would pay taxes on the purchases but not on your income or investments." He's a, he's in favor. You know, if you if you are familiar with people from Georgia, we have a, a radio host down here called Neil Bortz. Neil Bortz wrote a book called The Fair Tax Book that is that wants to abolish the income tax system and go to a sales tax system, and also wants to start charging sales tax on the service industry. That'd be your doctors, your attorneys, your accountants, your financial advisors, anybody out there who you pay for a service fee. You would start paying. I think they they estimate around a twenty three percent sales tax, and it would. You know, and, and what Huckabee's saying is it would eliminate Social Security tax. And it's been reported that he supports the idea of workers using individual investment accounts, although no details are offered about how they would be funded. I don't know about this whole fair tax. I've read the book, I've listened to it, I've got my own concerns. I don't think it's worth talking about in this show, but it's something you need to think about. Social Security is very, very important and we need to make sure that we're giving a lot of thought to it. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. We'll be back in a week to talk about more personal financial topics. I'm your host, Brian Preston. Until next week, talk to you soon. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston & Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.